What is going on, everyone? I like that song. And it's uh, commercially licensed through Artlist.io. Not a sponsor. That's just where I got the song. Had a few people ask me about the song. I will, uh, if I can remember, I'll put a link in the description for those who want it. How are you doing, Simon, for the Closed Network Privacy Podcast? Today is Data Privacy Day, January 28th, 2022. What better day to release this podcast on? Shoot it, record it, upload it. That's that's the game plan. Um, I am testing out a new pop filter on this pod mic that I'm using. I'm also kind of testing a couple other mics uh, as well. Let me know if you care about that stuff. Give me some feedback. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on the Closed Network website, closednTWRK.com. That sounds like a radio intro. I'm a little upbeat today because I had a couple extra cups of coffee this morning, so I apologize. This podcast is going to be just a rundown of things that you can do right now, regardless of what operating system you're using, regardless of what phone you're using or ROM. A ROM would be a flashed a different version uh, OS on your phone if you're using an Android device. Uh, <clears throat> I have been now on week two running Calyx OS on my Google Pixel 6 Pro. I just did an update yesterday, the January update, I think is a um, Android 12 update. And everything's been running really well. Uh, it's been a beta release. I'm not sure, actually, the time of this recording. Let's take a look if it's on the Calyx OS website. Calyx uh, OS, and I know Graphene OS has had it for a while for the Pixel 6, so if I click on Get Calyx, Install, yeah, now it's live. It's uh, the Raven and the Oriole, Oriole uh, for the regular Pixel 6, which I also have a regular Pixel 6 as well. Uh, I'm going to be running Graphene OS on the Pixel 6, and my daily driver is the Pixel 6 Pro. How many times will I say Pixel 6 on this podcast? Probably a lot. My apologies, but, you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. I uh, have been enjoying the crap out of it. It's very fast. The photos are nice. And I like the screen real estate that I was missing over the Pixel 5, which I was using previously. For those that know, my brother, who's been on the podcast before, Michael's been running on the Pixel 4 XL, and he's been uh, loving it. So... Congratulations, Calyx OS, for getting that out. It is live. It's no longer beta, as it appears from their website, uh, calyxos.org. So uh, just a couple quick things of note. If you want to leave a review for the webs- or for the, uh, on the website for the podcast, you can. You can just go to closednTWRK.com, click reviews, and those are greatly appreciated. You can also support directly or go to newpodcastapps.com and download... Either I recommend Breeze or uh, Fountain. Breeze, you can run on iOS or Android. Breeze is cool. Let me tell you something about Breeze. No affiliation, by the way. I just like the app. It's a light, it's a lightning wallet, so you can load up some sats using like Strike, Coinbase, Gemini, whatever your exchange is. Or if you're earning it or selling stuff for Bitcoin for non-KYC, go you. Send some, uh, send some Bitcoin over to your Breeze wallet. And you can load up your favorite podcasts that are 2.0 compliant, and you can boost 100 sats, 500 sats, 1,000 sats. Sats are just denominations of Bitcoin. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to donate, and you can 
like stream through the whole thing. You can just boost on certain parts through the podcast. That's a great way to support uh, myself and other podcasts. And there's a ton of them out there that are all 2.0 uh, ready, compliant, 2.0 compliant. So yeah, appreciate uh, any support, feedback, comments, reviews, and uh, let's get right into it. So today is, this week has actually been privacy week on Twitter, uh, where a lot in, in kind of in not just Twitter, but that's where you see a lot of the hashtags at. Um, and uh, we, I'm on Twitter as well. So it's just uh, the, the link for the Twitter account will be in the, um, in the show notes. So you can go check me out, follow if you want to. But uh, it's been privacy week, so there's been a lot of people talking about you know, things to do with privacy. I'm not going to go into any major stories. I kind of want to do a rundown. So if you're listening to this, maybe if this is the only podcast you ever listen to, hopefully you subscribe. Hopefully you listen to more. Hopefully you listen to more. But if this is the only one you listen to, maybe this will be the one for you. Again, doesn't matter what OS you're running. Doesn't really matter um, what operating system phone you're running. This can apply to everybody. Uh, though I hope you do maybe have a plan in your journey for 2022 to make some big changes in your life to get big tech out of your life as much as possible. That's the ultimate goal uh, is to give them as little information uh, as possible about yourself. So we're just going to start right from the top, uh, talk about browsers. So <clears throat> I'm sure you've heard of Tor or maybe you're familiar with people who talk about the dark net. Tor um, browser is a browser you can download. And it will allow you to access Onion websites, Onion URLs. Uh, and those Onion sites are not accessible through the clear web, which is often referred to as the regular internet that we use every day. So when you type in, you know, uh, whatever, Amazon.com or whatever um, website, that's ClearNet. Uh, so Tor is uh, the Onion, it stands for the Onion Router. Uh, so basically, I won't go into the whole detail of, of Tor. I could, I could be, that would be its own whole podcast. Uh, but essentially, it's a series of circuits. Uh, so your web requests are relayed through different Tor nodes, and it's anonymizing the uh, origin of the request, meaning you, your IP address. So, and, and then it can go out to the clear web, or you can see sites on uh, on the Tor network if you have the Onion URL. Uh, so, why am I talking about this? Well, if you want to do, if you're doing some research. Uh, or you just want you're just curious about a particular topic, and you might not want that tracked to you to your IP address. Uh, maybe you're doing World War history. Maybe you're studying things about um, different religions uh, or whatever. It doesn't matter. You, you know, it, it, you can essentially you know browse these sites. I will say more anonymously than you would if you're using your regular browser on your internet connection, just using Google. So. Uh, you can download Tor and uh, have a actually yeah I'll have a link to it. But if you just if you just open up your browser uh, and go to uh, torproject.org, uh, you can download the browser and you can download it for Mac OS, Linux, Windows. Uh, if you're on Android, you can also download Tor, the official Tor browser uh, from Google Play Store, Aurora Store. I believe it's even in FDroid for those de-googled users out there. Also, you can use Brave browser. Brave, B-R-A-V-E. It's uh, a Chromium-based browser, and it's focused out of the box on using kind of uh, different plugins to block trackers and things like that. Uh, Google Analytics, for instance, or Google Facebook, or, uh, <laughs> Google Facebook uh, Pixel trackers, and it also has a built-in Tor 
window. So if you open up, if you download and install Brave and you click on the little menu icon for like new tab, new window, you can just say new private window with Tor. It will open up a Tor connection, connect you to the network, and boom, there you go. Um, now, <clears throat> I'd still recommend to use the full-blown Tor browser. I'd also uh, recommend you to go into your into the privacy settings of that and set it to strict or at least medium. That will help uh, block JavaScript that could be malicious out there trying to track you. Um, so learn as much as you can about it, uh, but you can use it, like I said, to go visit tour sites. So if you want to go see a dark net market, what it looks like, you know, you know, drugs and all that other fun stuff, go for it. Uh, but also you can use it just to browse the internet. Uh, it will be a little slower because it's routing through different relays, tour relays. Uh, if you're curious about those relays, you can actually run them yourself. You can run them from home. You can run them on a VPS, and that helps contribute to the stability and the uh, anonymity to the network. So I just wanted to talk about it. I'm sure I'll talk about it more in the future. I haven't really talked about Tor much, but when I'm doing a lot of research and I'm on the internet, I'm either A, using a VPN, which we'll talk about in just a minute, uh, or I'm using Tor. So you can also get more advanced and download Hunix, W-H- O-N-I-X. If you're a little bit more technical savvy, you could download VirtualBox. VirtualBox is an open source. I'm not sure if it's totally open source because it's owned by Oracle now, but it's a free virtualization software that you can run on any OS. And Hunix is basically an image with two virtual private servers built into, or not private servers, but two, yeah, virtualized servers. One is the gateway. You would open that first, run your updates. The second would be the workstation. The workstation routes its traffic through the other Hunix virtual machine, which is also connected to Tor. That will help containerize, containerize, you know, it will help uh, isolate that environment from your host operating system, host being Mac OS, Windows, or Linux. So that might, and if, you, if that is, sounds intimidating, don't worry about it. We're going to talk about that in depth in another episode. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to highlight. So I'm trying to keep this particular episode very high level and simplified. So if you just say, cool, it's a data privacy day. What can I do to help secure my data and, uh, and secure my traffic and secure my identity? So Tor browser, it's easy. It's just like downloading Firefox or in Chrome or any other web browser that you've probably used in the past. If you are using Firefox, you can also install a couple of cool plugins uh, or extensions. They're called. I you run the first thing I do when I install Firefox is install uBlock Origin. U B L O K or C K Origin O R I G I N, and it's just a free extension in the Mozilla Store. You can install it. And it's just on. And even if you just left the default settings on, it's going to protect a lot of your data getting leaked, a lot of the fingerprinting. I mean, you still you know, want to run a VPN or something like that, but it'll block a lot of the trackers and some of the bad JavaScript out there. Also, Privacy Badger is another, another one to look at. Um, I would probably run either or, uh, and there's several other extensions. I will save that for privacy browser episode or segment um, but uh, install tour browser or brave browser so you can get on tour 
uh, really easily. And for just protecting your daily internet usage, like, you know, cruising around the internet, going on new sites and Reddit or wherever you do, I would at least at a minimum run uBlock, Origin, or Privacy Badger. Second is, especially if you're using a lot of public Wi-Fi, is to look at using a VPN. When you pick a VPN, pick one that you will pay for because the free ones are going to probably collect your data and sell it. Um, so it's important to pay for, pay for one. I've been using iVPN, so, oh man, probably since uh, 2008, 9, or 10. So it's been at least probably 12 years I've been using iVPN. And I've been using ProtonVPN as well for about two years. And I've been really happy with both. I'm not saying you should uh, use what I use, but those are two very highly credible rated um, VPNs that a lot of other security and privacy uh, advocates suggest to use as well. Do your own research, uh, but just look out for not using the free ones. Uh, the, the free ones, there's a trade-off. They're going to be slower. You're going to have less options, and it's likely that they're going to be collecting your data and trying to monetize it because nothing in this world is free. If you want to run your own VPN server uh, using an open VPN or something like that on Linode, or DigitalOcean, where you can fire up an inexpensive, you know, $5 a month uh, virtual private server. That might be another route that's going to require some more technical know-how. Um, but otherwise, for just a regular everyday usage, I would, I would suggest one of those two or both, iVPN or ProtonVPN. Uh, they both also, like, ProtonVPNs kind of need it. has a really slick interface for a kill switch. What that kill switch means is, is if for any reason you lose your internet connection or the VPN disconnects, it doesn't leak any of your traffic out from your applications. That can happen with VPNs, especially if you're, uh, I don't know, doing something like using a VPN to connect to a uh, foreign cryptocurrency leverage trading exchange, (laughs) perhaps, and you don't want your actual uh, IP address, especially if you're not in the United States where they're prohibited from trading on those platforms, you don't want your IP to get leaked if there was like a connection disruption with your internet or your VPN. So if the VPN kill switch is on, it basically says like no traffic will get out or make a request. If for some reason there's a, there's a connection issue with the VPN. I like that feature. Um, Next third, we're going to talk about password managers. Yes. I'm probably beating it to death and I'm going to continue to beat it to death because one of the number one ways that hackers compromise accounts is by data leaks and and correlating data leaks with other leaks. And it's like, okay, we have this Gmail account and this database over here. We've also seen it in three others. What are the passwords that are being used? Are they the same? Oftentimes they're the same. One of the biggest ways you can protect yourself is making sure you're using a password manager so you have a unique password for every website out there. Do not use the same password for email and your bank account, and your social media account. Don't do that. Um, Really, it'd be best if you use different emails or email aliases for all those, but to start simple, download a a password manager. I would recommend KeePass XC, which is open source and runs locally on your machine. If you want a cloud uh, password manager to synchronize to all your devices, I would recommend Bitwarden. I've been using Bitwarden 
several years now. Before that, I was more locked in uh, into an ecosystem, which was Apple. And I, I, I used 1Password and I had left 1Password probably three or four years ago to go to Bitwarden. And I've been really happy. Uh, Bitwarden is open source, so the, the code can be verified. And it can be self-hosted if you decide to do that. It's really cheap to pay for the service to Bitwarden. It's like 30 bucks, 30, $35 a year. That $35 is really contributing to your privacy, especially considering the fact that almost every website at some point in time is going to get hacked or there's going to be a compromise with all of the data, whether it's internal or external. Assume that every site you sign up on at some point in time will be compromised. So yes, and use, uh, use those long passwords. So uh, it's browsing safely with Tor and or you know using the Tor tab in Brave Browser, uBlock Origin. You look at getting a VPN incorporated into your life, your digital life, whether it's iVPN or Proton VPN or another VPN. Uh, just use just use it and get in the habit, especially if you travel, you're in a hotel, you're logging on to the free Wi-Fi. Uh, anyone running um, uh, any any devices like um, Raspberry Pi or there's a Hack Five has a lot of devices like the Pineapples and things that can run man in the middle attacks. So it can emulate free Wi-Fi. You just want to make sure wherever you're connecting to, you're using a VPN client, especially if it's not an internet connection that you control. Um, next would be probably, and this one could really be first, but if you're just like, okay, what are some things I can do to help protect my data and help protect my privacy? Encrypted communication, right? For you iPhone users out there, I know you love iMessage, and I get it. I love iMessage. I don't currently use iMessage on any device. I have one iPhone uh, that's not a, a primary, uh, but I still don't even use iMessage on it um, because I use Signal. I use Signal on my Calyx OS phone and my Graphene phone as the default SMS client. So it's the default uh, inst- or, um, messaging, text messaging app. But if people are on Signal, I talk to them on Signal. Signal isn't necessarily the most private in the sense of that it does use your phone number as your kind of like your ID, your user ID. However, uh, if you're communicating with people by via phone number anyways, this is a good way to move to something that's at least end-to-end encrypted. So the messages cannot be uh, intercepted or read, especially by the carriers. Because when you send messages in SMS, it's all plain text. When you're using iMessage, Yes, it is encrypted, but you don't hold the keys to the uh, um, the software. Apple does. So, someone at Apple, anyone you know in the in the security team or whatever, could decrypt pretty much any conversation they wanted to. Whereas with Signal, that's not possible. Both people are on Signal, or it's a group chat. The other thing I like about Signal is you get a lot of the same functionality than that you know uh, that you get on iMessage. High resolution images. Videos being sent, uh, kind of like emojis, emojis, emojicons, um, where you can like like someone's, you can you know message, you can reply directly to it, even in a thread with two, ten, however many people you have in there, regardless of what phone they're on. Everyone knows about oh you know the blue bubble, green bubble. Well, in Signal, everyone's a just you know kind of like in this separate world where everyone can kind of have a lot of those feature sets and not be locked into uh, a particular OS. You can also install the Signal client on your computer. 
which is really nice to be able to respond to people. You can type faster and that kind of thing, maintain multiple conversations a lot easier. So uh, that would be the first start signal. If you want to step that game up a little bit more where you don't, like if you want to have an encrypted, in an encrypted conversation with somebody and not rely on phone numbers, I would look at Session. It's an open source platform where basically you just have a user code and give that user code to people and share it. And that's it. That's your identity. There's no name. There's no phone number. Again, desktop client. I use Session on my Linux desktop. I use it on my Mac. I've got it on my on my phone. It's all synchronized. And I don't have to reveal even my phone number to talk to people. I just give them that that string, that code. And it's nice because you can put that code like on your website and say like, hey, anyone talk to me? And you're not you're making it easier for people to direct message you and there's, you don't have to trust that they're going to do something malicious with your phone number. You can just put your session ID up there. Threema would be another one to look at. Uh, just like it sounds three, like the number spelling three M a. Um, and if you want to get really fancy, also look at um, using matrix. Uh, matrix is a protocol and a very popular app that you can use is called element. Um, and that's also for kind of more like, chat room style so think of more like a fancier version updated version of irc but it's all encrypted and it's uh you can you can self-host you can self-run your own matrix server so those would be my recommendations right now for encrypted communication especially from your mobile device or being able to do it from your desktop and all the apps i mentioned you can do uh this you can talk on both your mobile and uh your computer cloud server i'm i'm gonna put this in here and i know that one's a bigger pill to swallow because it's I, I usually am like referencing next cloud next cloud is an open source think of it as your own google drive right you can have email you could have documents all of your files stored there you can it also has features that like dropbox where you can upload files and share a link to somebody and they can only access that one file works fantastic does take a bit more knowledge and skill to set up and make sure that you have like your backups and all that kind of thing but if you are tech savvy, I mean, if you're tech savvy you're pro- and you're listening to this, you're probably already familiar, but that would be my recommendation for a cloud server replacement. If nothing else, you could also look at, there's some very cool open source projects out there that you could um, download and install on a Raspberry Pi. Um, but those would be running on your local network um, and you would have to do some configuration to be able to access that from the outside, meaning outside your home. Uh, or business you'd have if you're just on other networks to access so that's a little bit more advanced but i at least wanted to just put the nugget in your in your brain for cloud server next cloud i want those two things to be synonymous with each other over time because it really is probably once once you set it up and get it configured it's one of the most freeing things to be like no i host all my own i host my own cloud i'm in charge of it i'm root on that box and i can you know scale it. And I know that uh, there's not a third party big tech company uh, indexing all of that data and and selling it or using it to market things to me. So that one's huge. I know it's not easy. Most of the things that are on this list today are easy though. So, uh, you know, so we've covered browsing, we've covered VPN, uh, password manager and clouds, cloud server. Uh, let's, let's next talk about, uh, you know, and I've, I've talked about this, uh, probably ad nauseum at this point to a lot of people who have listened to my other previous episodes, but uh, uh, we're going to talk about uh, email aliasing, right? So simple login is awesome for that. Uh, you can also um, use an application. I like my sudo 
I have no affiliation with them. I pay for the uh, the Mac Studio account, but it's cool because I can fire up inside of an app on my phone. I can fire up a container. Think of it as a as a profile. That profile gets a name. I can give it whatever name I want. It gets an email address. It gets a phone number. It gets a uh, uh, text messaging window, and you can also um, do virtual credit cards through that debit debit cards, credit cards. I have not used that feature. I use privacy.com for, for that. Um, but from what I understand, it works great. I just, I have not used the virtual debit slash credit card, uh, component, but I do know that a lot of other people, uh, who use it and like it. So simple login is also a, a service you can sign up for free on their website. And what it does is it generates basically like BS email addresses for you to use, but it will just forward to whatever email account you want. Um, so why does that on the privacy list? Because it helps protect your real email accounts, the ones that you care about. So all of the membership rewards and, you know, you go to your favorite stores and they all want to have track your, your uh, purchases. Just give them all, give, give them, give all of them one my pseudo information. If you get tired of it after a while, well, number one, it's easy to ignore. Number two, it's not tied to your real identity. And number three, you can you can dismantle it. You can burn it anytime you want, fire up a new one. Um, just be careful if you do that, though, if you ever need to get a recovery code, like if you've used a phone number for like text or something to get a code to verify an account, that if you do burn that, you will lose that ability. So I generally kind of have one or two pseudos that I'm going to basically keep forever. And then the other ones are all kind of like looked at as like throwaway accounts. This is also really good. Like if you're at a conference or you're, um, you know, somewhere where like maybe it's an HOA or, you know, a, a business function. And, you know, especially for like ladies uh, who, who are reluctant to give their phone number to colleagues and stuff, or maybe not their colleagues, but maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe you get a weird vibe, but you want to be able, this person be able to connect with you, but maybe you're not really quite ready to have have your cell phone number. Give them one of these numbers, and once you get to know people, you can always be like, "Hey, you know, this is a this is a work number or whatever." So feel free to contact me directly. The other thing too is, is that when you meet people, especially when you don't know them, what's the first thing you do when you exchange information? They pull their phone out, they put your name and your phone number into their address book. Now, then you know, and you don't know like what they do with that data. And what I mean by that is like, they don't probably have any intent to have be malicious with it. But when they download TikTok and TikTok or, or their, or their Facebook app or whatever, whatever app. And it says, Hey, there person, can we access your contacts so we can see if any of your friends are on this platform? And most people are like, Oh yeah, I want to see if my friends are on here. But what they don't really understand is that you're uploading and, and act, allowing that third party to access all of your phone book. It's like having a stranger walk into your home and it, you know, before we all had cell phones with digital phone books and stuff like that, we used to have actual address books with people's phone numbers and addresses and all that. So be like allowing someone to come into your home, a total stranger or a stranger, like a big company and be like, Hey, can we go ahead and photocopy that address book that you have? You'd be, you know, like, no, man, that's, that's mine. That's my private information. Like you can't have that. Well, you know, we've been conditioned to just, you know, click agree, click upload. Yeah, access my contacts, allow, sure, no problem. So if you're giving people when you first meet them, especially if you don't know if you'll ever interact with this person again, you don't have to give them that real phone number. Give them a pseudo phone number. Um, And my pseudo makes that really easy. There are other techniques, and we can talk about that in depth 
and in, in other episodes, but that's a real simple way to do it. A lot of, a lot of people will use Google Voice. Um, I have mixed feelings on that. I don't like using Google services, but it's better than it's better than just giving them your phone number. Uh, so that may not be a bad route to go. And I think it's been a long time since I used Google Voice, but I think it's still free. I'm not sure if you know they're changing because I know that they're changing some of the pricing for like their uh, business suite plans and things like that. So they might be charging for that. But you know, my pseudo, you get one for free as well. And if you just want to try it out, I recommend it. Um, so simple login for email aliases and my pseudo, which will do email aliases, phone numbers, text, and virtual cards. Um, privacy.com also, uh, is great for shielding, uh, transactions online because it generates, uh, a, a, um, a throwaway credit card and you can use whatever name you want with it. You can use whatever billing address you want with it, especially if you're subscribing to a service and you're one of those people that you know forgets or it maybe seems a little sketchy. I know that a lot of website services out there, like um, hosted services, all will use like a handful of um, different uh, transaction providers like Stripe or some of these other ones. And you may look at your credit card statement and you're like, okay, I'm not sure. I think this is something that I want, but I can't remember. Like, I'll give you an example. I've, I've uh, done a lot of things with um, website uh, development over the years, and I've bought licenses for plugins. And a lot of them require a 12-month renewal for that license uh, to continue getting security updates and support. So sometimes those charges will go through, and it's a year later, and it hits my credit card, and I'm thinking... <laughs> I don't, I'm not really sure. Like, I think this is probably okay, but I don't know because it has some generic name and it not, it doesn't have the name of the website that I actually purchased the license from. It's like some, something else. So if you're using like privacy.com, what you can do is you can sign up for that service. You can pause the card. So no other charges can happen to it. If there's a failure to bill that card, that provider will send you an email. And it kind of gives you an opportunity to assess, wait a second, okay, I have something expiring. Do I want to renew, first of all? And if I do, what is it I'm renewing? Okay, cool. I'm going to go unpause that privacy.com debit card and allow them to rerun that transaction. And it gives you more control rather than just looking at a credit card statement and going, I have no idea what some of this stuff is. So privacy.com, highly recommend by the way, I have zero affiliations with everything I'm recommending. Nothing. No affiliate links. I'm not paid. There's no sponsors. This podcast is is sponsored by myself, <laughs> but it's supported by listeners only. It's a value for value uh, uh, podcast. So I only monetize through donations. That's it. Nothing else. So if I'm pitching you something, it's either because um, I like it, I've used it, I believe in it, or um, I think it may just be a good option. So just know that. Uh, as far as email goes, I've been using ProtonMail and Tutanota uh, for the last uh, four or five years now and migrated to those platforms from Gmail. You can also register your own domain name and host it with ProtonMail or Tutanota, just like you can with Google, except you know they're not scanning all your email and you're supporting a company that supports privacy as opposed to you giving more money to Google and letting them spy on everybody. So those would be my two recommendations. There are others. Um, and if you do want to set up your email account, it's a, just a couple more steps. 
register your own domain name. So if you, uh, you know, if you want to use, you know, something arbitrary or like your actual name, I, you know, whatever, uh, as opposed to using, you know, if it's, if it's Sam, Sam at proton mail, let's say you register, uh, Sam is awesome.com, you know, you can have your email, Sam is, you know, at Sam is awesome and it's hosted on proton mail or it's hosted on to So you don't, you don't have to worry about, uh, hosting your own mail server you can let them do it. And so you get the benefits of using their platform and you have an email address that is exportable, easily transferable to another service provider because you own the domain name. But if you just want to try it out, both of them offer free accounts, set up a free account or set up a paid account. Uh, They have different options. You get different features. I highly recommend both of them. Do your own research. I'm not going to say one's better than the other. There's pros and cons to both. I like them both and I use them both. So yeah, Proton Mail and Tutanota. For note taking, um, I have a couple of recommendations. A lot of people use the default notes app on their on their iPhone, say, and that's notes, and that usually syncs to iCloud if you have iCloud enabled, again, allowing Apple to see all those notes. If you're using Google, same thing. Maybe you have a separate app like Evernote or something, and, and that might be fine. I don't know what their privacy policy terms are. Um, I've used other, you know, Pocket. I've used Evernote and stuff like that in the past, and I've been trying to consolidate to either A, using notes on my own server that I run. Um, I do all of my show notes in standard notes, so I take all my notes there. It's in, in encrypted, and you can, I think I pay like 25 bucks a year for some storage, and it synchronizes across all my devices. So if I'm thinking of something... I can put it in my phone real quick, and I know when I open the Standard Notes app on my Linux machine or my Mac, I they're all synchronized, and it's awesome. So Standard Notes, I, I've been liking. I need to kind of experiment with some of the uh, extensions that they have available for it, but I really dig it. If you want more of a collaborative one that's privacy-focused, I would recommend Skiff, S-K-I-F-F dot O-R-G. I have only been using the free plan, but as opposed to like an app on your phone, you can just, you know, it's like, I, th- I don't even know if they have apps. I, I just have a shortcut on my phone to the, to the web version because I try to install as few apps as possible. But skiff.org is a privacy respecting and I think they have encryption, um, but, you know, you're accessing it through the web. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, but it, it's, it's more for like making it easy to collaborate on notes with other people. Um, I've only been just kind of playing around with it for the last few months. I haven't really, uh, um, incorporated it into any of my work or personal workflows, but it is something that's pretty cool. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into, so skiff, S K I F F dot O R G pretty, uh, pretty cool little tool. Um, now for, this is not necessarily privacy per se, but this is more on the security front. I just wanted to have you know some something else uh, to throw in there, which is two-factor authentication, 2FA. Most people probably have already been using 2FA and not realizing it because a lot of uh, financial websites will, if they, haven't, if, they rec- if they see a login from a place you haven't logged in before, they will often send you a text message on your phone. That's, that's like the, uh, the least secure way of 2FA. Uh, two-factor authentication. So you log into a website, you get your username and password that you just, you know, pull out a Bitwarden because hopefully you're generating your passwords there. You log in and your bank's like, hey, I don't recognize you. I'm going to send you a text with a code. You're like, cool. You put the code in and it's like, all right, you are who you say you are. We're going to let you in. 
And that's okay. Uh, it's better than not doing it at all, but it's by no means uh, the best way to do things. So the simplest way would be to use a two-factor authentication app on your phone. I'm sure a lot of people have already done that, especially if you have like corporate networks that you log into. You might have some sort of app that generates a token, uh, you know, like an RSA token or something like that. So we're talking about doing the same thing, but for all your personal accounts. So uh, a couple, you know, uh, uh, that are kind of popular as far as a software app that you can install on your phone is uh, Authy, A-U-T-H-Y. The other would be Google Authenticator. Uh, There's a couple others. And Honestly, using those is way, way, way better than relying on SMS text messages. So that would be a good start. And it doesn't require you to buy anything. You can download the app. It's free. Um, Also, for those that use Bitwarden, Bitwarden also has a two-factor authentication uh, component built right into it. Uh, So that that may be something you want to consider because you can kind of keep your applications consolidated. So... Um, that may be something to consider, but for me, because I, I've started out using, um, uh, what did I start using? I started out using Google authenticator probably in like 2016, 15, 16 for like all my personal accounts. And then I moved over to Authy and I have, um, still some accounts that on Authy and I've even since been moving over to a hardware key. Uh, a UB key. That's a Y U B I K E Y UB key, and those are um, created by a company called UBCO. And they basically, I have two. One's a backup. It's a copy of the other one, and I like it because it's a little bit more of a pain in the butt. I'll be completely honest with you. So, like, if I'm logging into something on my desktop and it's been a while since I logged in, I gotta get under the desk, put the hardware key in and then push the button. But I don't mind that it's a pain in the butt because I know that it's going to be a bigger pain in the butt for somebody else to access that without authorization. So basically it just is a hardware key that looks like a USB key and it has NFC on it, which is near field communication. So on my Pixel 6 Pro, when I log into my ProtonMail account, I have to put in my username and password. And then I also have to open the YubiKey app or you, yeah, is it called YubiKey? I'm actually holding my phone right now. Yeah, it's YubiCo is the app, but uh, it's the YubiCo authenticator. I open that and then I press the key to the back of my phone. It picks it up and then I can generate the token. It sounds like kind of complicated, but it's not. It's actually a pretty smooth and easy process and it works for me. It may not work for you and that's okay. I would at least use Authy or Google Authenticator uh, even though I'm saying Google Authenticator, even though I'm anti-Google, it's a self-capsule. It's a self-contained app. All it's doing is generating tokens, and you're you're associating it to which website. So it's not like Google could really probably do anything mean with that. But um, I tend not to want to use any Google products. So uh, maybe just go to your browser search engine if you're using like DuckDuckGo or StartPage, and just and just you do some searches for two-factor authentication. Uh, you know, using um, uh, hardware because there might be some different options. It's going to depend on what type of phone you have. If you're using an iPhone, you're going to want a Lightning or NFC version. 
Uh, if you're using uh, Android, you're probably going to want USB Type-C. They also have USB-A, which are this, the just old traditional USB-style keys. Uh, so if you have, you know, you, you, know, you might want to take a look at some stuff. I'm not going to try to tell you because every, everyone's setup is a little bit different, but it's just something to consider and look at. Um, that kind of falls, in my opinion, um, more under the security bucket rather than privacy. But what it does do is it helps shield your, uh, people accessing your account without your authorization uh, in which case would be a privacy breach to you if they were able to do that. So it's kind of falls under uh, both both buckets, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I have a couple of articles that I'm also going to attach uh, to this as far as um, just some cool, interesting things that are in the news as far as, you know, iOS 15, potentially leaking browser activity in real time, Pegasus, which is a software application by NSO Group that has been found in a lot more... Um, uh, journalists' phones. These are uh, zero day, using zero-day vector attacks on people's phones. And these aren't to scare you. It's not at all. It's just to be informed and understand that there's a lot of there's a lot of people, organizations, and nation states that are always trying to surveil people, whether it's censor them uh, or find out who who is uh, publishing information about them and like look at their communications. I just kind of act under the feeling or the expectation that all internet traffic is trying to be surveilled by someone for whatever reason and that people are always trying to access other people's stuff, right? So implementing some of these uh, tools and applications and processes will help limit you and, you know, if, if you think of yourself as a target, <laughs> a sea of people, it just makes your target a lot smaller. It doesn't insulate you. I don't want anyone to think that because I do the things that I do that I'm Superman. I can be, I, you know, I cannot be uh, surveilled or anything. It's like, no. I mean, if you have a phone on you in your pocket and it's transmitting to a tower, guess what? You know, it's like you're not hiding from anybody. But what we're trying to do is just limit um, the attack vectors. And we're trying to make ourselves a little bit harder, harder targets. Think about it as like a, a, a mugger, right? They're going to go after two two people, three people that are in a group, or are they going to have to go over someone who's an individual by themselves? You know, maybe they look weaker than them. So that's the path of least resistance that most attackers will take. So just think of this as surrounding yourself with more in a group, right? More people is by, you know, using Tor, surfing the internet using Tor, which is also helps your, um, internet provider not snoop on you, you know, just because, you know, you have an internet connection and you pay Comcast or AT&T or, you know, your fiber provider, whoever that is, you know, they're, they're trying to make money. They're trying to make more money off of you, off your traffic. So you're paying them for the internet service. And oftentimes, and maybe not all of them, but oftentimes they're also trying to monetize your data that they can collect. And you're thinking like, what do they collect? Well, they know all the websites you go to. They know the time of day that you go to them. They know the frequency. They can see what um, uh, transaction sites you get, like product buying products from Target.com or Amazon or wherever you're going. And they can sell that data to marketers. So if you're using... Tor, or you're using a VPN with private DNS or any, you know, some of these tools to help shield that you're protecting, you're protecting your, yourself from them as well, as well as bad people on the internet. Uh, none of this stuff is bulletproof. Don't think that a VPN protects you from all the bad things. It just, again, it just makes it harder 
It makes it harder for people to see what you're up to and what you're sending. Using a password manager is going to be huge. If you do like one, if someone said like, well, tell me the best thing to do right now, I would say to use a password manager and start using signal. Like if you, if that's all you do this year, even you're going to be way ahead of the curve. Uh, excuse me. It's going to be way ahead of the curve as far as everybody else who's not doing those types of things. Uh, Signal is also great too because it's an, an encrypted. Think how many times, whether it's um, a, your partner, spouse, uh, a kid, you know, one of your kids, or a family member, where maybe they have reason to access something. Uh, it could be a web portal for your video cameras at home. It could be uh, your spouse or, or your partner needs access to your bank account. You know, forgot I forgot the password. You know, you don't want to send that in a text message. You certainly don't want to send it in email. But you could send it in Signal, and you could set that particular message with a disappearing uh, uh, timeline, like a stop. Like as soon as the message is open, it will disappear after like thirty seconds or a minute. So that way, even if someone got access to the phone, that username and password would be removed from the conversation, and no one else can see it. So, in, in transit is what I mean. No one else can see it in transit. Versus if you were to text it to them over SMS. Um, you know, uh, the carriers could potentially see that. Uh, if you're doing it over iMessage, Apple could potentially see that. They could be indexing and saving that for later use. You don't know what they're doing with that data. And these big tech companies are kind of like, it's, it's, it's very difficult to get information from them. Like it would be, I would be astounded if you were able to call as a paying customer to call Apple and just be like, hey, I'm curious what you do with my data. And if I delete my account, where does it go? Who has access to it? You, you know, they don't have, they don't have that kind of support line. Um, so, you know, just operate under knowing that they probably do. And someone will maybe at some point, and it's not really people looking at it. It's, it's computers and they're indexing and there's algorithms for, uh, you know, looking at frequency, looking at connections between you and other people, you know, and all, you know, we don't really know what they do with all of it. That's, that's kind of the annoying thing. I've seen a couple of people post their, uh, their audio files and queries from uh, Alexa. They re- you can request that from Amazon. It's crazy. And, and they're able to give you all this because it's all stored indefinitely. So anyways, not trying to be uh, freak anybody out, but it is Data Privacy Day, and this was the privacy rundown that I put together. I kind of, I think I did this around episode two or three, where it was kind of like practical things you can do, implement right away, and just you know, just start somewhere, and then as you progress, you might get to that. Hey, I'm going to run my own next cloud server, and if you know. If, if you want to go to that next step on the phone, it's like, I want to run a D Google phone running Calyx OS or Graphene OS. You start, it's building blocks. You know, you kind of get get there over time. So password manager, signal, two-factor authentication, VPN. Um, these are things that I would start looking at. Uh, maybe just go sign up a free account at ProtonMail or Tutanota. Cruise around, check it out. Maybe you're not going to try to migrate over right now. Maybe you just want to, you know, use it. But um, maybe you create a couple email aliases in there. And for any new accounts that you sign up, you use an email alias. Uh, or maybe you use something like sudo, my sudo, or simple login. Um, just gotta, just gotta try it out. So, 
Anyways, I'm trying to keep this uh, particular podcast under an hour, and we're at 50 minutes, so I'm going to kind of wrap up here. I've really enjoyed just kind of putting this comprehensive list together, getting it out there. Feel free to hit me up. If you have questions about anything specific, uh, ask me. Just go to go to the website. Use the contact form. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, emailing back some of you who have asked questions. I'm trying to do the best I can. I know some of it's uh, phone-related, and it's kind of hard to diagnose over email, especially when um, some of you are in different countries. Uh, I know Australia and some other places. So um, I do my best. Uh, this is all kind of like on my free time. Uh, and I and I try to pop into my email at least every 48 hours just to see if there's anything updated or new. Um, I know there's a message in there from a listener right now who I need to get back to. Um, actually, two of them. So uh, just know that I do uh, frequently check it and uh, also hit me up on Twitter. That's a pretty easy way if you want to get a hold, if you're on there. If, if you're not on Twitter, totally understand that. Uh, so, you know, use the... Um, Use the form on the contact page. Um, also, if you go to closednTWRK.com, you can click on the uh, uh, donate button, and it will show you all the ways you can contribute uh, to the project. If you feel compelled, I, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, not, not required, but always appreciate it. So that's pretty much it. I wanted to get this done and out on the day that it matters, which is the uh, uh, data privacy day. Maybe go uh, take a look at some of that stuff online because there's some really smart people out there and uh, smarter than myself who are constantly putting out information, uh, whether they're YouTubers, other podcasters. Um, I'm just another voice out there trying to make create awareness and offer some solutions. Some might be more complicated than others, but uh, you got to start somewhere. So that's pretty much it, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode nine recorded today, January 28th, 2022. Data Privacy Day. Simon, out.